0: You're listening to Switched On Australia, the podcast that tracks the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. Switched On is brought to you by the publishers of Renew Economy, Australia's best-informed, most-read website focusing on the green energy transition, and is supported by Boundless Earth, using philanthropy, investment and direct advocacy to help Australia become a global force in a decarbonised world. Hello and welcome to the Switched On Australia podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Anne Delaney. Now if you listened to our podcast last week with Jan Rosenau and Craig Memory, check them out if you haven't, you'll know there's every good reason for us to electrify our homes and businesses. Electrification is going to be essential for the world to get to zero emissions in the fastest possible time. And it's also the cheapest way to run our homes and businesses. But if you've spoken to anyone who has actually electrified their entire home recently, you'll know there are some challenges. It's not for the faint-hearted. So today I thought I'd talk to someone who has recently been through the process of electrifying his home. John Judson is the CEO of Race for 2030. It's a cooperative research center which conducts a huge range of research on ways to accelerate the transition to affordable, reliable and clean energy. John is also a chemical engineer and he has a master's in energy technology. So you'd think he'd find electrifying his house pretty straightforward? Well, it wasn't. As you'll hear, it was much harder, slower, and expensive than anticipated. And his aim wasn't specifically to electrify everything when he first moved into his house in the southern highlands of New South Wales.
1: My objective wasn't electrification. My objective was to be carbon neutral and, and not waste resources. <laughs> uh, so the way that uh, that you know, turned out to be the most effective way to do that was to improve the efficiency of my home by improving insulation and making sure we had energy efficient appliances first and uh, so we're just not wasting a lot of energy the next step was actually putting solar on the roof (laughs) we put 8.6 kilowatts of solar on the roof and uh, from there on I wanted to make everything in the house run off electricity including even my mowers and we've got uh, robotic mowers that are are electric Uh, so we, we ended up converting everything to run off the solar pv off the roof that was the objective and uh uh, we've now got to a point where we don't buy any fuels, except at nights, uh, because we don't have a battery. Except at night, cold nights, we uh, we're largely entirely self-sufficient. The storage part of it is something we'll do next.
0: So uh, tell me, how did, how did you start the process? Did you start with with a plan? It was all laid out, or was it a piecemeal process? In terms of you know, when you could afford something, you you change things over.
1: Had the plan and then quick, quick implementation, (laughs) but it turned out to be slower than I expected because it was just harder to do than I, than it really should, uh, should be. Right. So as soon as we we moved into Southern Highlands uh, from Sydney, we were one of these tree changes just prior to COVID really setting in. So we moved in December, 2019. And the first thing I did when I got here was to put solar on the roof. With that, I also put water tanks uh, to uh, collect roof water. But that were the first things that I did, and the, it was part of the plan to get off fossil fuels and, and to become self-sufficient. So uh, I, I had a you know very clear, clear-cut clear plan, and luckily I had the resources to implement it rapidly, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. We, we also were lucky because the house had just been renovated and, just before we bought it, and one of the renovation uh, elements was to put in a new high efficiency air conditioning system, a reverse cycle air conditioning system in, so we had already the, you know, the heating and cooling uh, off a very efficient inverter uh, air conditioning system.
0: And if it wasn't in, would, would that have been one of your priorities to, to change that over straight away?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, for, for comfort as well. So yes, we would have we would have uh, we would have put in a high efficiency air conditioning system. So we then put in a new uh, induction cooktop, which we really like. In the past, we've we've both my wife and I have cooked with gas, and so it was a was a a, uh, an interesting change. And but it's proved to be very efficient and uh, and easy to clean and uh, no fumes. And uh, so that was a really good move and then we uh, we replaced our hot water system it was gas it was old and we could have gone for a electric resistance heater with a controller so that we only use the solar um, but we decided yeah. that uh, because I'm I'm in the efficiency game I thought I'd I better get a heat pump I'm not not absolutely <coughs> sure that the heat pump was the most economical choice I think a uh, oh really well I think I, I think I probably would have got a better economic outcome from putting in a, a resistive water heater with a uh, with a controller, so that it only ran when the when there was surplus PV, uh, because we do have a fair bit of sur- surplus.
0: So th- that's kind of a trade-off, isn't it? If you've got the extra solar PV, then then that brings the cost down considerably.
1: Yeah, so it's not a it's not a not a laydown there that you go for a heat pump because, especially in a cold climate, the uh, the the coefficient of performance is a bit down during winter here. You know, it probably would have been more economical, but we we decided to pay the extra. I think the heat pump cost is five and a half thousand. We got uh, the usual incentives from the New South Wales government, but uh, it was still, it was still expensive, and it was probably mm. probably a four or five plus year payback. So if I would have done it on pure, you know, short term economics, I probably would have gone for a resistance heater with a uh, with a controller. But uh, anyhow, I think that I'm, I'm happy with the with the unit we got. We've got a top-of-the-range uh, CO2 unit. It works very well. It's extremely quiet and, uh, you know, it's got very high reliability.
0: You didn't get a battery. Tell me why not.
1: I haven't got one yet. I mean, the economics is absolutely tragic. Um, and what I really want to do and what I really wanted to do straight away was to use the uh, the car battery. So we've got a Tesla Model Y. Uh, but I, I, what I really wanted to do is get a car where... Um, It was set up already for two-way charging so that you could use the surplus storage capacity of the battery to take surplus PV during the day uh, and store it and then to release it again at at night Uh, because, as you know, electric vehicles Mm. have got immense batteries. If I bought a Tesla Powerwall for home, for example, it's got about 9 kilowatt-hours capacity, whereas the the Tesla's got about 65 kilowatt-hours. But
0: you can't do that yet
1: no at my cooperative research center we are working on uh on you know trying to reduce the barriers but the biggest barrier at the moment is that the state-of-the-art ccs two-way charges you know, there are no cars that do that in australia yet and then there's a whole bunch of other barriers that we're working on
0: some of the regulatory barriers you mean Re- regu- well it's more
1: standards um and uh, there, there may be regulatory barriers when we get, get that far down the track. Uh, cost, we we're, we're looking forward to you know maybe three or four years down the track when uh, these are uh, very routine and they cost maybe three or four thousand dollars. At the moment, the ones that you can get for the older style cars uh, using using the Chathamo chargers is that they they cost about ten grand. So again, it ruins the economics of doing it.
0: And the Chattamo charges are I mean, they're just on the Nissan Leafs, aren't they? Exactly.
1: Yeah. So it's very limited availability. And, and you know, those that, that sort of technology is is going out. So that was my I mean, that's a long winded way of saying that I, what I really wanted to do <laughs> is use the car battery to do the charging at home. And, and that is my plan. So I took a two year lease, two year novated lease to take advantage of the new government policy in that area, which made it a no brainer to get a, a, a EV.
0: So you're, ho- you're hoping you'll get some a, a bi-directional charging car within the two years? That's what I'm
1: aiming for, in which case I'll switch over. Uh, unless, of course, Elon decides to uh, tell us all that the cars have already been designed for two-way charging and now they're going to release the ca- capacity by a software upgrade. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see what happens. But that's yes, where I'm going. Yes. Because the, just to buy a battery is probably about, I don't know, I think I did a quick calc, and it was about a fifteen or twenty-year payback.
0: Now you didn't actually disconnect the gas. Why not? I uh,
1: well, we didn't have to. <laughs> I uh, I just said I don't want to pay any more gas bills, and uh, so please turn off the gas to my property. And uh, but uh, they they said, oh well, we'll just stop billing you. The gas is live to the property. Presumably, it's just. Mm. Uh, it just goes to the meter and stops
0: and you won't be charged any no supply charges
1: No, no, no supply charges. They just said that no, that's fine. They switched it off. They charged me I think I had a dollar fifty left from my previous bill They charged me a dollar fifty and I've never seen a bill since yeah, right I didn't want to pay didn't want to pay a, a fee for removing the meter. There was no no benefit So I just told them to stop me stop billing me
0: some people are being charged at absolutely exorbitant prices, and you know, I've heard it can these be up stories. To... But
1: uh, that was not. So I was on. I was with AGL, and there certainly was no question like that.
0: Right. So it was a process of negotiation with the with the company, was it?
1: No, I didn't negotiate at all. I just told them that uh, I've now re- <laughs> re- I've now removed my last gas appliance. Please, uh, I, I expect you'll stop stop sending me bills.
0: And Don't bill the, me.
1: Yeah. So they said that's fine, and uh, we'll just send you a final bill, and that'll be it. There was no negotiation. Right. They were perfectly pleasant about it and said, OK, done.
0: <laughs> you mentioned earlier, John, that you found the process quite hard. You clearly, you know, you're a leader in energy and carbon management in Australia for 40-odd years. You know a lot about energy and energy efficiency. Why was it so hard?
1: Uh, look, the whole process from beginning to end was annoying. The The solar was easy. Uh, luckily, I... I knew someone that I trusted that did the solar for me, but uh, after that it was just uh, just uh, annoying. I'll give you an example. It took me it took me three months for, to get someone just to quote to put in the heat pump, and uh, I asked the uh, the first supplier if they could do a few other things for me while they were at it, uh, including putting in my EV charger, and and they said yes. I thought they thought they could do that, but then you know three months later <laughs> I ended up getting. Uh, other independent quotes because he mucked me around for so long when we uh, got went to get the heat pump installed for example they they sent out a guy who was actually quite rare because he he was an electrician with a refrigeration qualification so he could actually do the electrical work and the the uh, the heat pump installation but he couldn't disconnect the old water heater from the gas he couldn't do it so we had to get the plumber in and the plumber wasn't available he and then when he turned up he realized that he, his gas license had had, got, had expired and <laughs> he had to renew it. <laughs> and by the time we got into it, it was like weeks before we finally got rid of the thing um, and finished the job. Then I got the EV charger installed. And the guy that in, installed the EV charger had a look at the board and said, look, all these people that have come in doing these last few projects have made spaghetti on your... Uh, we already had three-phase power, by the way, so we didn't... We didn't uh, need to do anything fancy to to uh, get a three-phase charger for our car, but when they they yeah. did the installation, they realised that you know everybody previously had been putting all of the new uh, new applications on one phase, so now I, I've got now $1,600 bill. I've got a guy coming in next Friday to clean up the wiring, put in some new. Um, protection devices and to clean up the spaghetti in the back of the, the board, <laughs> which has been left by the previous uh. people that have come in. And then I've got another job I've got to do because I've got some sub-metering to allow, allow me to measure what the usage is of, of my major, major users. But now that I've got the Tesla on uh, with three phase power, I've got to get three more current transformers installed and blah, blah, blah. So it's just like, it just goes on and on and on. The final thing was, of course, that I wanted to, to get a controller where I could visualize everything uh, that was happening on my site and could control yes. all of the different ap- ap- applications to maximize the use of uh, my PV. And uh, to this date, I have not been able to, to do that. I've actually, through my research <laughs> at, at Race, I've, I've bumped into a few people that, that, I, that can do this now. Um, and uh, so now... I've I'll I'll have further discussions about getting that implemented, but this is not a job where you can just ring someone up and say, look, I would like to get a net zero house. Tell me Mm. what to do. And if I didn't know what I wanted, it would have been so confusing, I would have never gone ahead with half of it. And, And it's still, you know, I still haven't got the controller I want for the house. I still have got the, you know, next week I've got the guy coming to fix the board. If I didn't have the determination and and uh, personal passion, there's no way I would have yeah. got to the end of this process. And it was expensive too, I've got to say.
0: You're listening to the Switched On Australia podcast where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything. And we're focusing on some of the challenges today. Today, my guest is John Jutson, the CEO of Race for 2030, which is a cooperative research centre working on accelerating the clean energy transition. But I'm talking to John less about his work at Race and more about his own electrification journey, which hasn't been straightforward and nor has it been cheap. Here's a quick summary of what he's spent to go all electric. $11,000 on solar panels, $5,500 on a hot water heat pump, $1,000 to rewire his electrical board, $750 on energy monitoring, $2,000 for an electric vehicle charger to be installed, $2,000 to install an induction cooktop, and $600 for additional insulation to ensure the electrification is more efficient. That comes to... $22,850 twenty two thousand eight hundred and fifty dollars and that doesn't include a high efficiency air conditioner for heating and cooling because that was already in the house and nor does it include the seventy one thousand dollars for the Tesla model Y
1: you know you add it all up it's not it's not your average Joe on an average income is not going to do this without you know a bit of a bit of pain and and thought until we get all of this stuff pulled together so that it's easy, uh, can be financed with long, long-term, low-interest loans so that you can actually get, get your money back through this process without having to put up a lot of cash in front.
0: How, um, how significant do you think is the, the issue of cost as an impediment to, to um, getting things moving? And who should be assisting? Every level of government?
1: It's, it's absolutely an impediment for people on average incomes. You know, there's a significant capital cost to do what I've done, and uh, that has to be turned into a a financed asset, so that that people can actually get completely funded through the savings. And uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily need to have massive incentives, but uh, things like the uh, the tax incentive that the government provided for EVs through novated leases is is a you know that's a great measure. It's going to make a very big difference to the take up rate. Because you know the the tax credits are substantial and make it very, very cost effective, and uh, and mm. the rest of it I think uh, there'll, there'll be need some incentives, but mo- most of it is going to be finance to, in terms of the uh, the upfront cost because the, these things can be turned into, you know, a cash flow stream of savings that should be able to be covered by uh, cover the finance cost, but it's got to be structured in a way that uh, that allows that to happen. That may be through the government. You know, through government guarantees and uh, and low interest finance through CFC, like the government has been working on now, but uh, it, w- we can't expect the average person at this stage to you know put out large amounts of uh, of of capital until they're confident that they're going to get a return. So if we can if we can turn the, their their saving stream into a into a repayment stream for a for a loan, that's that's I think the key.
0: It doesn't bode well, does it, John, you know, given that you've found it difficult under these circumstances. It, it doesn't bode well given we really have to electrify and fast. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that this is why we, uh, we're doing this research at, the, uh, at uh, Race for 2030. So we are doing a major project in this space. And uh, the reason we're doing it is because we have to get over a lot of barriers if this is going to be become current practice. So I, I actually, um, I've got some numbers for you, which I've pulled out just the scale up that is required. So I worked out that if you wanted to get a third of the job of decarbonizing done by 2030, so I'm, I, I was aiming for you know, uh, net zero by 2040 rather than 2050 because that's what the national specialists say we should be getting. So I worked out if you're gonna do, gonna do a third of the job by 2030 from next year on, and every year till 2030, we need to have uh, EV sales go up ten times, mm-hmm. heat pump hot water sales go up ten times, uh, induction cooktop sales go up five times, air conditioning installations by twice, a home energy management systems probably a thousand times, batteries maybe five <laughs> to ten times. So that's a scale up from now to next year, <laughs> not and and. And then done every year,
0: and every year subsequent year, yeah. Every subsequent yeah. year. So
1: this is a, a, this is what we're trying to get people to understand that we really need to invest in some innovation for, you know, a quite different models, um, if this is going to be possible. And uh, you know, we do think it's po- possible, not maybe at exactly that scale up that I mentioned, but uh, we're going to the, our board with a a very large proposal, about $6 million research pr- plan for addressing each of the obstacles that we talked about, including you know, skills and building some sort of one-stop shops um, and having online tools to manage uh, the process so it makes it easy for people.
0: How do you think a one-stop shop might solve some of these issues? Because if, if we don't have the, the trained personnel to actually deliver some of these services, and there may be supply problems with some of the appliances. How how do you think the one-stop shop will, will go?
1: No, no, I, I agree with you. That's what I was saying. All of those things that I mentioned are all different elements of the, of the solution. So we need to address the skills. We need to address the supply chain for the equipment. Uh, we need to address the, uh, make it simple for people to be able to do this. And this is where the one-stop shop approach comes in. Uh, the finance, so that there's uh, low interest, long term finance, so that the, these things all pay off. All of those things need to come together, uh, and that's what we're working on. You know, each of these elements, we've got a program going, and we've got a range of, we're going to be doing a range of pilots to prove how the, each of those elements could could be uh, resolved uh, in practice. But uh, you, you're absolutely right, this is a massive challenge. And people have got to take it on, it, uh, you know, people have said, um, you know, we have to take this on a war footing. I, I think that's really is the case. We really need to look at how do we massively escalate our activities in this area and organise them in such a way that, uh, that large numbers of people can actually do this successfully.
0: There's a lot of knowledge that you've applied to this project of, yeah. of, of uh, with your house. Does the average energy user have to really skill up in that in that similar level of knowledge? If we had a one stop no. shop, I suppose you know we've got that that advice, but we can't all be energy 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 wonks.
1: No, that's that's uh, that's the reason for that sort of approach of the one stop shop. Um, you know, people need to be guided through the process. We've got to make it simple. And uh, they just need to be told from someone that's reputable and and uh, and has you know, genuine information at hand, you know what their options are, um, how how it can be financed, be convinced of the uh, of the benefit, because I think you know all of these things should ultimately become a significant asset mm. for the home, because you know I think that ultimately, and maybe it's only five or ten years away that uh, people are not going to want to buy a home that has a you know high carbon footprint and and, you know obviously associated with that high energy costs and they'll want they'll want they'll see that as a as a desirable asset for a home so i think that uh, as that comes about it'll be it'll make the thing much easier but in the meantime we've really got to help people make it easy and and it's possible Mm. to do that the concerns i've got behind that then is you know if if we do do all of those things are we going to be able to get access to the equipment and are we going to be able, able to get access to the skills and I think that there's some genuine issues there we've done a at our uh, CRC again we, we've done a project a uh, number of projects actually about the skills requirements for the tran- transformation that we're undertaking and identified and proven that there's you know there's a big skills gap uh, in technical skills both professional and, uh, and trade that we need to address urgently if we're going to be able to meet demand you, you only have to try and get a, uh, an electrician in to, uh, to install your EV charger now with a tiny number that are being installed uh, to recognise what the uh, what the problem's going to be if we scale up by 10 times.
0: John, how confident are you that we can get this right? Um, I'm an optimist.
1: So, I'll, uh, so I, you know, <laughs> this is all... It's all doable. And uh, mm. that, that's the thing that people should keep in mind throughout this. I, I'm pointing out... The challenge and the uh, and the scale of the of the change that's needed, but only because I think that that uh, that you know we we can do it as long as we as long as we plan it properly and recognise the the scale. I think the uh, the Commonwealth and state governments are, are now sort of well aligned to uh, to trying to address the issue and that, and are becoming cognisant of the scale of the of the challenge. So I think you know I think with goodwill there's uh, there's every possibility that we can pull this off, but we can't pull it off by just saying, okay, we'll set a big target and then um, let's hope we get there. We've got to recognise that the size of the scale-up requires a a very well-planned and coordinated and tracked set of programs.
0: So just finally, what's your advice to other householders who want to do what you've done?
1: I think, look, in the short term, there's some very simple things you can do in your home. First thing I do is make sure the home's well insulated. Ceiling insulation. Uh, if you're building new, obviously you want to get multiple glazed windows, but uh, certainly ceiling insulation and sealing the house up well so there's not a lot of drafts. Uh, making sure there's no waste before you start spending se- serious money. And then I think you don't have to replace your hot water unit straight away, but you know they only last typically 10 years. So if you're getting towards end of life, I'd be I'd be looking to uh, to replace it with something that uh, Probably, probably a heat pump. I think everyone should have solar on their roof. the The economics, you know, is such that you've got about a four-year payback for most people, and and you can get it easily financed today. By there's a whole range of companies like Bright and others that that uh, will finance your uh, uh, your solar, so you don't have to be out of pocket, and and other things too. Actually, probably a heat pump as well. I, I would definitely uh, replace my uh, gas cooktop with a with induction cooktop. They're just better. <laughs> you know, they don't give out <laughs> carbon monoxide and nitrous oxides. There's, you know, good evidence that they, they, they cause health problems for for children and, and adults too, but particularly for, for young children. And uh, they're much easier to clean. They're they're just as responsive, probably more responsive actually than a gas unit, and uh, don't have fumes and smell. And so I, I would do that absolutely. And uh, if you've got gas gas space here, you know, I'd say the same thing. It's obviously going to be a bigger investment for many people, especially ducted. But, but you can always go for a number of uh, split units. But uh, again, you get the the benefit of of both controllability of uh, heating and cooling, and uh, and just the feeling that you're saving the planet. <laughs> so I think that uh, that that that's the hardest one I think to for most people because there's a substantial capital investment involved, but uh, that would be something that uh, that I'd, I'd be doing personally anyhow just for environmental and, and controllability reasons.
0: John Judson is the CEO of Race for 2030. And I'll follow up with John and the team at Race for 2030 on some of those projects he mentioned looking at solutions to the challenges facing us all on our electrification journeys. I'll also post a breakdown of what John paid for his electric appliances and their installation. Roughly $22,850. Not cheap. On our next Switched On podcast, I'll be talking to two of the community members who are leading the Electrify 2515 project. They're on a mission to become one of Australia's first all-electric communities and they're a great example of a community literally taking back the power. Join me then. I'm Anne Delaney. See you next time.